but we're going to talk about it probably in a way that we never have before. And we're going to talk about it from the perspective of the disciples just completely missing it and why they completely missed it and how you and I can avoid, or let me say it another way, how we can overcome the mistakes that they made and understand the answers that Jesus has provided for their, what some places call their blindness of heart, their their inability to see inwardly what their physical eyes could see outwardly. Now, before we read the verse, there's a specific statement that we've been repeating on Sunday mornings together. And, and uh, when I say repeating it, it just it's part of our um, current study. And here's the, here's the statement. You were never meant, you were never meant to live in the world with a view of the world that comes from the world. Now, that's how most people live their lives. They live in the world with a view of the world that comes from the world. Well, when Jesus arrived here, he didn't look at this world with a view of the world that came from the world. He had a completely different perspective. Would you agree, would you agree with me on that? Jesus saw things differently. And it's very, very important that, that we learn how to see things differently. Because how you see things will determine how you experience those things. And you can literally experience something differently if you'll let the Lord show you how to look at it differently. It'll change the whole way you experience. And we see that Jesus was trying to do this with the disciples when he told them on multiple occasions with great detail that he was going to be arrested. He even said, I'm going to be arrested by the Jews and turned over to the Gentiles. I mean, he he gave them very specific details on three different occasions that he would be arrested, that he would be beaten, that he would be executed, that he would be buried, and that that he would rise again on the third day. He told them that at least three times, uh, just plain language, and then we see different metaphors and different ways of teaching. He referred to Jonah being in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights and then came forth out of the fish in the same way. He said, I'll be in the, in the belly of the earth three days, three nights, and I'll come forth. But it sailed clean over their heads. It, it never registered. And after he was crucified, they dealt with agonizing grief and suffocating regret and just tremendous debilitating fear. They, they could not see uh, victory. All they could see was loss and defeat. But there was victory there, right? If, if they had only allowed Jesus to help them see it the way he wanted them and the way they needed to see it, then they would have not been hiding in fear on that first Easter morning. They would have been at the tomb with a watch party. And it's, and it's very sad to me. And I, I was meditating on these things a few weeks back. It's, it's very sad to me that, that one of the greatest, if not the single greatest event that will ever happen on this planet, no one was there to witness it. There's a couple of soldiers there, but God said, you know what, these heathens, they, they just, he put them to sleep. You know, Nobody was there. I mean, Jesus come busting out of the tombs like, where is everybody, man? Now, it's easy for us to talk about them, but we, we deal with some of the same issues and I've got good news for you. Jesus has told us in the scriptures how 
to avoid those same mistakes. All right, so let's look a little closer at this. One more time, you were never meant to live in the world with a view of the world that comes from the world. We're supposed to live in this world with a view of this world that comes from heaven. Amen. We're supposed to see things differently. Are you, are you excited about that? We, we, we need to realize the importance of, uh, of that statement. Now let's go to John <clears throat> chapter 20 and we'll look at uh, verses 1 through 10. And well, we'll probably go a little further than that. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. Notice no expectation. You know, at least she could have said, You don't think he has been raised from the dead, do you? No, there's, he's gone and it can only mean one thing. Somebody stole his body. Somebody stole his body. Notice, notice how her inability to see inwardly prevented her from even forming the possibility that he had been raised from the dead. In other words, she's, she's only coming to one conclusion, and that is someone has stolen his body and hidden it somewhere. So Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were, and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran. If you don't, the other disciple is John the Beloved, if you don't know who he's referring to there. He just never referred to himself by name in the uh, gospel that bears his name. And the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there. Yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen clothes lying there. And the handkerchief that had been around his head, not knowing, I'm sorry, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know, verse 9, they did not know the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. So notice now, they didn't know it despite Jesus having told them multiple times. They didn't know it despite him telling them this multiple times. Now again, it's easy for us to look at them, but how many things has he told you and me multiple times that we don't know yet? How many, how many times has he told us things that we need to know and understand about living the life that he created us to live that we still haven't understood? And by the way, understand here means uh, to, to, to see inwardly. It, it means to see with perception. It, it means, it means to, to not just see with the physical eyes, but to see with the inward eyes of the heart. Now let's keep going here. Verse number 11. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down. Well, what? I'm sorry, I left out verse 10. So everybody else goes back home. Verse 10. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. All right? Because whoever stole Jesus' body may be looking for them, right? So let's, let's go hide some more. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to him, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know it was Jesus. Th think about that now for a moment. I'm, I'm trying to show you 
this problem that Jesus referred to over and over and over again during his earthly ministry. It's one of the biggest problems, I think, outside of a sin problem. It's one of the biggest problems that, that, that people still deal with to this day. And it's the problem of having eyes to see but not seeing. And the problem of having ears to hear but not hearing. Jesus referenced some version of that statement over and over again throughout his earthly ministry. He would say things like, for those who have eyes to see, let them see. And for those who have ears to hear, let them hear. And then he would say, is it true that you have eyes but you still don't see? And that you have ears but you still don't hear? And we're seeing this played out in real life, real time scenario here where Jesus again had told them over and over and over again, but they still didn't know it. They still didn't see it inwardly. And, and, and so now notice, because she doesn't have eyes to see inwardly, when Jesus is standing right in front of her, she doesn't recognize him. Verse 15, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, Teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord. And that he had spoken these things to her. Now, what we see, and we could spend most of our time together this morning looking at all these different accounts, but what we see, of course, is that they did not believe her eyewitness testimony. Think about that for a minute. They did not believe her eyewitness testimony. We also see that some of the other women had also encountered the angels who told them that Jesus had raised from the dead, and they came and told the disciples what the angels had said to them. They didn't believe that report either. Now we see that there were two disciples. We only know the name of one. His name was Cleopas. And we see that these two men are leaving um, Jerusalem, headed to Emmaus, and it's about a seven-mile walk. And as they are exiting Jerusalem on their way to Emmaus, they're going back home too, Jesus joins them and is walking with them, and he begins to ask them, what's, what's going on? What, what, what are you guys talking about? And they say, are you the only person in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's been happening? And isn't that ironic because Jesus actually was the only person in Jerusalem who did know what, what was happening, right? But they said, are you the only one who doesn't know what's going on here? And so they begin to tell Jesus about Jesus, but they didn't recognize him. The Bible says that their eyes were restrained. They couldn't see him, even though he was right there talking to them. And he then begins to tell them things about himself that they don't know. 
I believe that conversation is, in, is recorded in heaven one day. I want to I hear what all he told them. I guarantee you it was some good stuff. So when they get to Emmaus, which again is a seven-mile walk, they invite Jesus and say, look, it's late. Why don't you come eat with us? You can stay with us tonight. It's too, too, too late for you to try to get back home. So Jesus goes in, and it's when he prays and breaks the bread. Boom, they see him. They realize this whole time, the ignorant traveler that they thought, the clueless traveler that you know joined them, now all of a sudden they realize this whole time it had been Jesus. Their eyes were opened. And guess what? They told the disciples about their experience. They didn't believe that either. Now, let's, let's look at one more, and then we're going to kind of try to bring some of this home as it relates to you and me. Mark chapter 16. This time let's go to verse number 1. Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 14. Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices that they might come and anoint him, speaking of Jesus' body. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen, and they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had already been rolled away. For it was very large, and entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed, and they said Nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. Now, this is really important because we're talking about this ability to see inwardly what I'm going to show you in a minute even that they had seen things outwardly that they never saw inwardly. Okay? And there is a very important connection between faith, your ability to believe, and your ability to see inwardly. Okay, so stay with me. We're going somewhere together this morning. So they did not believe. After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, so verse 14, later he appeared to the leaven as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Now, we see that this issue, this problem of being unable to see inwardly, that's, that's what he said, you have eyes to see, but you don't see. You have ears to hear, but you don't hear. We see that Jesus referred to the root problem of that on occasion as a hardened 
or a calloused heart. One that was very difficult for his truth to penetrate. And we live in a world that can take a toll on our hearts, especially if our view of this world comes from this world. If we look at things the way the world looks at things, that's going to produce a hardness of heart in us making it ever more challenging, making it ever more difficult for us to see things the way God, our Father, wants us to, needs us to, created us to see them. Thank you, Jesus. All right, let's, let's just keep, just stay with me. We're laying some foundation here. We're going to bring all this home. Could have put a bow on it here in just a moment. Let's go now to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, and we'll begin at verse number 14. Mark, the 8th chapter, and the 14th verse. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. What does that mean? It means nobody thought to pack a lunch. All right? And they're getting into a boat to take a trip. And there's two things about being on the water. Something about, number one, it makes you even more hungry. And if you've ever had a bologna sandwich in your kitchen and then a bologna sandwich in a boat, the bologna sandwich in the boat tastes better. Something about food on the water. I do not know what it is. My Uncle David used to take me and my brother fishing, and before we would go, he would fry up a bunch of hamburgers and wrap them up in aluminum foil. And he would put stuff on there that I don't to this day eat on my hamburger. But it didn't matter. There was something about, you know, two in the morning when he hands you one of them cold cheeseburgers out of the cooler. Best cheeseburger you ever had. So they're getting into the boat. And nobody packed a lunch. Then he charged them saying, Take heed, Jesus speaking, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now, leaven is speaking of yeast that you put in a lump of dough and that yeast comes alive and it begins to eat the sugars in the dough, and this is what makes the dough rise. And leaven then is often referred to, I mean, it could go both ways, something positive, something negative, but, but the, 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 the concept is a little bit of something can contaminate the whole of something. And when Jesus is talking about the leaven of Herod, that's speaking of Herod was the you know, government, politics, world system. And then the Pharisees would have been the religious system. 
And when Jesus is, what Jesus is trying to address here is for the way the world looks at things and does things and the way religion looks at things and does things, he says, you can't allow that to contaminate you. You've got to root that out. You you can't let that develop and, and continue to linger in your heart because if you do, it will literally overtake all the good things that Jesus had taught them. A little bit of leaven in their hearts, outside uh, uh, contaminants, right, were powerful enough to distort all of the true and correct and wonderful things that Jesus taught them. And so this is, you know, Jesus, think about it now. This is, you know, at the, at the apex of his earthly ministry, everywhere he goes, he's, he's being swarmed by large crowds of people. And, and as important as those people were to him, and, and as much as he loved to help people and heal them and teach them and care for them, one of his most important assignments was to reproduce himself in a small group of people who would then take this kingdom ball and run with it after he has returned to heaven. So these, this small group of disciples were Jesus' main focus, but as more and more demands were being placed on his time, it was a constant you know, effort for him to try to... You know, we see that he would go way out into the wilderness to try to you know, teach them, and people would go find him out there. So the one place where he had them you know, full attention was in a boat. You know, uh, and, and so he's going to use this voyage in in this boat was just him and the disciples to try to explain some very important things to them so he begins by saying take heed beware of the leaven of the pharisees and the leaven of herod and they reason among themselves nobody says anything just in in their minds they're going "Mm, it's because we we have no bread he's saying this because we were so foolish and so ignorant and so absent-minded that we didn't bring a lunch with us today verse 17 But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Now, this again, do you not yet perceive or understand? Perceive means to to see with understanding. When you perceive something, it, watch this now, it changes your perception of the situation. And then this word understand, it is a related word that is sometimes even translated perceive. Two related but different words in the original language. Jesus used them both here. And this word understand means to put two and two together. It it means to connect dots. Now watch this. When he says, do you not yet perceive, in other words, he's saying, he's saying hey, are, you, are you still blinded inwardly to what you've, what you've been seeing outwardly? What, what, what you've seen with your physical eyes, are you still blinded to it with your inward eyes? And have you not yet connected those two together? All right, now watch this. We'll, we'll come back a little more on that, but... but Keep that in mind as we keep reading here. He says, having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear, and do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of fragments did you take up? And they said to him, 12. 
Also, when I broke the seven for the four thousand, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. So he said to them, how is it that you do not understand? How is it that you do not understand? This may seem like a strange thing to talk about in an Easter sermon. Having eyes to see but not seeing was among the biggest problems the disciples struggled with. And I believe what we're seeing here in Mark the 8th chapter is, presents the dilemma most clearly. Okay. Now, I've already showed you how this same issue continued all the way to the end. Jesus explaining to them what was going to happen to him. And they heard it with their outward ears, but they never heard it with their inward ears. Now, when I say this is perhaps the best place to, to present the dilemma, you know, or, or where, we can, where you and I can see this issue uh, the most clearly, despite having twice participated in the miraculous feedings of thousands of people, the disciples are only seeing lack and shortage when it comes to food. Notice now, their physical eyes saw Jesus take a little boy's lunch and feed thousands of people. Not only did they see it with their eyes, if you read those accounts carefully, the miracle actually took place in their hands. Jesus blessed the little boy's lunch. He divided it into 12 meager portions and then told the disciples to go feed the multitudes. And so, you know, they walk up to the first person and they're thinking, well, I can't give them this whole thing because if I give them all of it, I won't have anybody to give the person that looks really hungry next to them, right? So they break a little piece of the fish off and hand it to somebody and they realize that they've still got the same amount of fish in their hand that they had before they broke a piece off of it. And then they break another piece off. And it's the same amount of fish. Then they do the same with the bread. It's the same amount of bread. And they do that thousands of times. And then pick up 12 basketfuls of fragments. But what's the problem? We've got to see the problem. The problem is they saw it with their outward eyes, but they never connected the dots to see it inwardly. Meaning what? Meaning it never changed their perception. They went into that miracle thinking that the kingdom, you know, was a place of lack. And they came out of the other side of both of those miracles, still reasoning in their hearts, coming up to, the, to this answer that there's not enough. Jesus said, why reason? Because you have no. Why is it when you look at a need, you always come up with a conclusion of not enough? Why is it that when you look at your budget, you always come up with an answer of not enough? Let's get to the answer to this. I believe that what we find in Matthew, the sixth chapter, now I haven't said this yet, and we've been studying Matthew 6 now for a few weeks, okay? I haven't said this yet, but I'm, I'm going to say it this morning because I believe it's, it's 100% true, Okay? 
I believe what we find in Matthew 6, especially in verses 19 through 34, are among the most important words that Jesus ever spoke on this earth. Among the most important. And, and I could make a good case for them to be at least as important as anything else he said. Okay? Now, obviously, everything that Jesus said is important. He came to reveal things to you and me, show things to you and me that had been hidden and that had been kept a secret since the foundations of the world. Jesus came to reveal truth to you and me that had never been available for human ears to hear or understand or receive and live by. So again, everything that he said, everything that he taught is extremely important. But is it, is it okay to say something that he taught is more important than other things that he taught? And the answer to that question is yes. Because when Jesus taught the parable of the man planting seed, he said that if you do not understand that parable, you will not be able to understand any of the other parables that he taught. So Jesus himself took something that he said and elevated it above all other things that he said because he said understanding this is a master key to unlock all the other things that he came to teach us. So if, if you don't have the key to unlock the doors, whatever's behind those doors is going to remain a secret or concealed from you. And I believe what we find in Matthew the 6th chapter is on that same level. Because what Jesus is telling us here in Matthew the 6th chapter is how to overcome this problem of having eyes to see but not seeing. What he's telling us in Matthew the 6th chapter is how to overcome this problem of having ears to hear but not hearing. Now I believe I've got the right bunch this morning and I know it's Easter and I know you probably got a ham in the oven and, and all that other stuff. But listen, listen to me please, 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 please hear me out because I think if you are connecting with anything that I'm saying this morning, you can relate to this issue of having eyes to see but not seeing and having ears to hear but not hearing. It's very easy to talk about all the things that the disciples experience, but my friend, we have experienced the goodness of God in our lives. We have experienced His supernatural protection. We have experienced divine intervention. We have experienced things that maybe years ago we dismissed as coincidence or luck, but we know now it was no coincidence, it was no luck, it was divine intervention, it was the hand of God protecting us, it was the hand of God delivering us, it was the hand of God providing for us, it, it was things that God did for us. And we've all experienced those things. Some of us are more aware of those things than others. But again, the hand of God in our lives, this is why the Bible says in Romans 1 that when we stand before God one day, not a single person will have a valid excuse. Because His, His uh, hand and His eternal being and His wisdom is evident in all of creation. How many times... Has, has God come through for you and then you find yourself a few weeks, a few months, a few years later in a similar situation and you're sweating it like He never did a thing for you? We were singing the song, the, the, the uh, lead-in song this morning before, before prayer. And we're talking about He's taken away my pain. I don't know if you, I don't know if you, not that you were looking at me, but man, I was up here, I was, I was doing my toes like this. So why were you doing that? Because my toes been hurting me for about six weeks and it's not hurting me anymore. Amen. He took away my pain. Well, you know, I mean, things just get better with time. God created his body for it to get better with time. 
But he's my healer. Amen. So what we're talking about here is, is, is a real problem that continues in, in, in the church world today. Listen to me, we're not going to change this world looking at this world with the view that came from this world. We, our Jesus, he was raised from the dead and we are now one with him and we are, we are in this world but not of it for the purpose of transforming this world to the glory of our Father. And Father is glorified when we bring forth much fruit. But in order for you and me to bring forth fruit, we're going to have to stop looking at this world the way everybody else in this world looks at this world. If we're going to change this world to the potential that we have to make a mark on this world that cannot be erased, we're going to have to learn to see this world differently. And that's what Jesus is explaining to us in Matthew, the sixth chapter. Now, let's, let's go there real quick, and then, and then we'll, we'll wrap this up for today, and we'll jump back in next week. Matthew, chapter 6, verses 22 and 23. I know I said 19 through 34, but we're just going to, for sake of time, we're going to focus on these right here, okay? This is what Jesus says. Jesus says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If, therefore, your eye is good, King James Version says, single, If your eye is single, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Now, Jesus was not trying to be confusing here. But one of the things that you have to understand about the scriptures, and we were talking about this on on Wednesday night, okay, This is not a self-help book. This is not a do-it-yourself guide to righteousness. This is not a here, take this home with you and figure out how to make it work in your life. As a matter of fact, this is not even an understand-it-yourself book. The only way you will ever understand this word, which is living and powerful is if you allow the Holy Spirit to come alongside you and unlock your understanding, unlock your ability to to see the wisdom that Father God has put in His Word. And so He's not trying to be confusing here, but what He has written here requires some thought and some effort and some level of engagement on your part and on my part if we're ever going to understand the answers that He has hidden in this wisdom for us. Remember, he has hidden his wisdom for you, not from you. He's hidden his wisdom from his enemies, but he's hidden it for his children. In the same way that you might hide a key somewhere on your property for people that you want to have access to your house, but at the same time you're hiding it from people that you do not want to have access to your house. The Bible says if Satan had understood the wisdom of God as it pertains to Jesus' crucifixion and now your glorification, that he would have never laid a hand on him. So there's wisdom hidden here, not from you, but it's hidden for you. But if something is hidden for you, it's going to require some effort on your part to dig it out, to find it, to discover it. Amen. And the Holy Spirit, the moment you engage the Word of God for the purpose of understanding the wisdom of God for your life, the Holy Spirit comes alongside you and begins to unravel it and and reveal it to you. Now when he says the lamp of the body is the eye, And if your eye is single, your whole body will be full of light. 
When he's talking about the lamp of the body being the eye, he's talking about what you look to, what you choose to focus on. And here, here are the... Let, let me just kind of run through these real quick. What you look to... Who decides what you look to? You decide what you look to. We talked about this in the two, in the two verses above. When he, when he said, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. You decide what you treasure. So he builds on that and he says that what you look to, and by looking to, I don't mean glance at. Look to means like what you look to for help, what you look to for answers, what you look to or who you look to for a means of victory, for provision, for security. Every person on planet earth looks to something or somebody. Jesus points out that the two most common things people look to are God and, or money. But what you look to becomes the lens you look through. What you look to becomes the lens you look through. Here's the, here's the amazing thing about a lens. I'm wearing lenses this morning. These glasses are lenses. These glasses are actually uh, modern generation bifocals. If you understand what a bifocal is, the upper part of it is for you to see far off and the lower part of it is for you to look down and read. To this day, I've been wearing, I've been wearing these progressive lenses for a long time, but I will, I will roll down the hill and see my other truck sitting in the driveway and I'll think I have a flat tire. And you have to wear progressive lenses to understand what I'm talking about because what does a lens do? A lens helps you see some things better, but it also prevents you from seeing other things as clearly as you could. So I can do this and read really, really good. But see, if I pull it down like that and look through the top part, all of a sudden the lens that helps me see way back there on the back wall, right, are you, are you following what I'm saying? So again, what you look to becomes the lens that you look through. And the lens you look through is going to magnify some things and even at, in some cases going to blind you to others. All right? So what you look to becomes the lens you look through. And the lens you look through determines the light you live in. So when Jesus says, if your eye be single, he's talking about a singular focus. If your eye be single, he says your whole body will be filled with light. What is light? Light is the ability to see. Amen? Light is the ability to see. So a singular focus on my part and your part will give me inwardly the ability to see. Are you, are you, are you, praise God, let me just read it. I'm, I'm feeling rushed amen you good give me just a minute and then we'll we'll pray praise god if your eye be single jesus said your whole body will be full of light being full of light means being filled with the ability to see things as they truly are being filled with light means being filled with the ability to see things as they truly are. So notice now, the disciples, with their physical eyes, they saw Jesus multiply food. But their eye was not single. In other words, they saw that, but in addition to seeing that, they also saw other things as well. So we could say it this way, their focus was fragmented, 
But when it says if your eye be bad, if your eye be evil, he's talking about double vision. He's talking about multiple ways of looking at things. And this is where the devil gets involved in our lives. And we've got to recognize the devil getting involved in our lives and we've got to root him out. Because the only way you will be able to see inwardly the way things really are is if you choose to see outwardly, amen, with a singular focus. The less single, or we could say it this way, the more divided your eye is, the less light and more darkness and shadows will be in you. Meaning the greater the inability to see things the way they truly are. And what do we call this lack of clarity? Anybody want to take a guess? We call it confusion. We call it confusion. All right, stand with me. One last verse this morning. Thank you for hanging in here with me. I feel like I've rushed some of this, but we're unpacking this on Sundays, guys. I'm telling you, these are things that you want to know and learn and understand. I think we've all dealt with that confusion, and and we've all dealt with, well, God said this, but what about that? And and see, Satan, Satan is the one who introduced a new way of looking at things. He did it in the Garden of Eden. When Eve told him exactly how to look at that tree, he said, that's one way of looking at it, but here's another way. And now when she began to look at it from two different perspectives, she lost the ability within herself to see clearly, and that's when Satan was able to deceive her into acting. Hebrews chapter 12, what a way to end. Therefore we also... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. The Amplified Version reveals looking unto Jesus literally means this, looking away from everything else only unto Him. Looking away from everything else only unto Him. Abraham is our example. Abraham is our example. When God promised to him and Sarah that they were going to have a child, him and Sarah both laughed out loud. It seemed preposterous. They heard him say it with these ears, but they didn't hear him say it with these. And when they laughed, the angel of the Lord said, Why why are you laughing? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? We watch them grow and develop until the Bible says that they became fully persuaded. Can I tell you what fully persuaded means? You can't see it any other way. They went from laughing at the promise to not being able to see it any other way. As they stopped considering all the things that clouded and brought shadows and only considered giving glory to God. Is there anything too hard for God? Is there anything too hard for God? We see that inwardly they began to see until they couldn't see it any other way. Amen. Father, you're good to us. We celebrate you on this 
beautiful Easter morning, the victory, Father, that we have in you, the life that we have in you. And Father, my desire this morning is for your people to be able to see inwardly with the same clarity and the same understanding and the same perception that Jesus lived with while he was on this earth as a man. Father, that we would not be dull of hearing and have eyes to see but not see. That our hearts would not be hardened, but that they would be soft and tender and pliable. And Father, as, as we turn our eyes upon Jesus and look to him, that inwardly we would be filled with the ability to see things as they truly are. Amen. With, with everybody's head bowed and eyes closed just for a moment, if you're here this morning, you say, Pastor Mark, I've never received the gift of salvation. The Bible's very clear that Jesus lived a sinless life for you. He became your sin and died on a cross for you. He was buried. He went to death, hell, and the grave, came back victoriously on the third day, then returned to the right hand of his Father and promised that he would one day return to this earth. And he did every bit of that for you. If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor Mark, I've never received Jesus. Had a young man come to me after class two Wednesdays ago. He'd been in discipleship class probably for six or eight weeks. He said, Pastor Mark, I want to get saved. I said, man, Jonathan, I thought you were saved. He goes, no, sir. He said, I've been a Sunni Muslim for 25 years. I was like, man, Lord, I'm so glad he stepped forward. So, hey, maybe there's somebody in here this morning, been coming to church for a while, but you've never, you've never been born again. If that's you, let me see your hand. We'd love to all pray with you this morning. Anybody, never been born again, this is your day. Anybody, anybody. All right, so Father, as we dismiss this service together, we say thank you for this gift of your son. Jesus, thank you for all that you did for us and as us. Thank you for the victory that is ours, both in this life and in the life that is to come. I pray, Father, that you would bring back to our remembrance the things that you're saying to us and have said to us, Lord, during this time together. Father, that, that we would hunger and that we would thirst and that we would desire to have our entire body filled with light. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here this morning. You be blessed. You have a great rest of your afternoon. Good things coming. We'll see you Wednesday night, if not before.